Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. Okay, so you are about to meet one of the world's most interesting men. Okay, so Rick Steele, I want to let you know up front, he's a little bit different from the kind of people that we would normally have on this who are sort of like personal brand experts, you know, they've built a personal brand. Here's what Rick has done. He's the founder of multiple, multiple billion, with a B, billion dollar businesses. He's a celebrated philanthropist. He's a best-selling author. And he's really an ambassador of effective altruism. So he has been twice featured on the Inc. 500, not 5,000, Inc. 500 list. He was named Humanitarian of the Year by Harvard Business School. He's been listed among Fast Company's most innovative companies, and he has been helping growth-minded entrepreneurs create more social impact. And that whole movement has gotten him featured in the Washington Post, Forbes, Entrepreneur, ESPN, HuffPo, and Fox News. And right now, he is the founder of Select Blinds, which we will talk about. That is like his current main business that he is operating. He really is organizing a movement of high net worth business leaders to bring them together to solve immediate humanitarian and environmental concerns by not only lending their talents, but contributing a significant part of their estate to kind of nonprofit causes. So, he is sitting in his garage right now his his car with his car collection and if you're watching this on video he also has his gym upstairs and that is because he is also a 13 time iron man and what we're talking about on this cuz he's done a lot but we're going to be talking about paid traffic acquisition search engine optimization pay per click strategies which is what He's also one of our Brand Builders Group clients, and so we've had the opportunity to get to know him, and he has this ridiculous level of expertise that nobody has, and we're going to talk about that, but he also just completed in his spare time something that he called the World Marathon Challenge. He did, not kidding, listen to this, seven marathons in seven consecutive days on seven different continents, seven marathons in seven consecutive days on seven continents. And when we started working with him, you know, he was actually one of our private clients. He came to Vaden Villa. He worked with us at the house and he was planning this. 
And I was like, bro, this seems like a little bit of a logistical challenge. Like, and so we haven't really talked. So I need to hear just like for a minute, how in the hell did you do seven marathons on seven continents in seven days? That's insane. Well, you know, you first have a, a really, really good travel person. And the guy that put this together for us, a guy by the name of Richard Donovan, done this a few times for small groups. I think you can only do it with a small group because it was chaos, you know, getting, uh-huh. you know, we still had to go through security and had to go through customs at every continent and, you know, make planes and all that stuff. But, you know, it, it, it's a logistical nightmare, yes, but the idea of, you know, picking up and training, you know, the, the training for it was, was really, I think, harder than the marathons itself. Once we got mm-hmm. on, you know, you're thrust into this group of, there was 35 of us, you're thrust into this group of people that like 34 of your friends now are not going to let you not do this, right? So mm-hmm. you are doing this. And the first one is everybody's got a big smile on their face. And by the third or fourth, you know, everybody has blisters and chafing and hurting somewhere. And, you know, so you can go far by yourself. You know, you've heard this before, but you can go a lot further with a team. And, you know, we had a team of people we didn't know the minute before we met them. And it was a brotherhood, sisterhood. I mean, it was, it was an amazing uh, group of people that just helped everybody get through this thing. We started in, in Cape Town. We went to Antarctica, almost died in Antarctica. I mean, we literally were in 100-mile-an-hour winds in Antarctica. We got delayed there and then came back and went to Perth, Australia, Dubai, Madrid, Fortaleza, Brazil, and then Miami, where we were met uh, by all of our family members, friends. There was a few hundred people there. It was just, it was amazing. Man, bro, like we're going to have to do a separate podcast uh, for, <laughs> for my, like our leadership podcast of just the mindset and the, the mentality of training, training for that, because that is just, well, congratulations, like and to the whole, whole crew. I mean, you're also depending that nobody in the 35 gets seriously injured and sick and you, you know, like, um, yeah, that it was incredible. You know, COVID had just started in China. And in fact, there were six members that couldn't make the trip because they were flying from Beijing and oh, all the flights man. had been shut down. So they couldn't participate in it because we, you know, this was just the beginning time where the world started shutting down. Really China had shut down at this point. When we got back, we were about two weeks away from, you know, what we're going through now, which is, you know, kind of a U.S. shutdown starting in Washington. And, you know, it was, I believe it was just incredible that we were able to pull it off. It was just the the timing of doing it, you know, had we been a few weeks later, it wouldn't have happened, which would have been okay too. You know, we live in a different world today. So we just have to be and get used to, to what's happening. Yeah. Well, I I think that gives good backdrop for people a little bit, just kind of about your mindset and and, and your mentality. You're also a nine figure entrepreneur. You've built companies that do over a hundred million dollars in revenue a year. And there's just so many amazing things that you have done that has inspired me. But you and I started geeking out about some stuff. And I was like, wow, Rick really knows this stuff. So can you just tell everybody a little bit about Select Blinds specifically and what you do and how you and your team, I know you have an amazing team. How have you guys built it and, and kind of what makes Select Blinds different You know, from like most blind shops, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. You know, we started blinds in 03, you know, before that I was doing mortgage, I had an internet mortgage company that we exited and blinds was a, I didn't want to create something so new. I had to go create an audience for it. So the idea of going into blinds was what can we sell 
differentiate ourselves a little bit from the market, but basically sell online in a marketplace that already has traffic. The traffic's there. There's already intent-based buyers typing searches in. All we have to do is find a better way and sell them a better product. And it was easy for us to do back in 2003. You know, this whole, I was reading an article the other day, talked about, you know, Warby Parker, you know, kind of pioneered this space of DTC in 2010. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. No, no, no. Me and my buddies, we were all doing this in 2003. It, uh, <laughs> but it's a- DTC, it just cl- clarify DTC. Yeah, DTC, direct to consumer, meaning that you are selling only your brand and you're sending it right to the consumer. There's no store, there's no middleman, there's no wholesale. It is drop ship right from you to the consumer, which allows you to have an intimate you know, relationship, conversation, narrative with the customer. It's so hard to do when you, know, you add one component in there. When you start adding that component in, now you're forcing a salesperson, distributor, somebody to share your message with the consumer. So DTC just means I have a direct line right to the customer. They get to know exactly what I'm about. So we had done that mortgage. We'd had that relationship. So we weren't Nostradamus or anything, but we did kind of see that there was some silly stuff going on in mortgage. So pretty much everybody could get approved for a loan. We decided to say, listen, let's insulate ourselves from, you know, we didn't know anything about mortgage-backed securities or what was going to happen, but we just knew that the fact that home values continue to go up, everybody could get approved for a loan, that wasn't right. So we wanted to insulate ourselves, our team, our company from that impending crash. So the idea was, what could we sell? Like, what is something we can do that's fundamentally different than taking a lead online and that was sell a product and if we sell a product direct to consumer we can have a little bit more of the control so that was 2003 we started that thing in our bedroom and really started building the site not knowing exactly what products we were going to sell not knowing all the details about how we were going to sell it but just with enough passion to go out and figure it out over the course of like the next 30 days and this is this is select blinds that you're talking about so it is yes but in some ways this is insane like you chose blinds to sell on the internet. Like there couldn't yeah. be a more necessary, like come into your home, measure it. And if anyone's ever installed blinds, like it's a, there's a lot to it. It's not the simplest process and there's lots of different tastes and styles. But to me, probably the first major lesson that you've already shared here is you went and saw intent-based traffic. Like you made a business decision based upon there is an existing audience who is looking for something. And rather than starting and saying, I have something and I want to sell it, you said, what is there a market for? How would you do that today? Or like, how does somebody determine that what the, the appetite is or what intent there is out there in the market? I mean, it's real simple. In Google AdWords, I mean, you can go set up a Google AdWords account, put no money on it, and Google gives you a, a keyword tool that lets you basically go in and in any region, US only, worldwide, you know, somewhere in between, start inputting keywords. And I mean, for instance, if I wanted to start a blinds company today, I would go tell Google, show me how many people are Googling the word blinds. And Google will show me how many keywords there are, what the cost per click would be if I were in the number one position, but then also start recommending a lot of other words that are also pretty accurate. You know, this wasn't the case five years ago, but today, but man, they have nailed it with the AI. I mean, they know what I'm bidding on. They know what my competitors are bidding on. So therefore, when somebody new comes in and says, hey, show me blinds, they can pretty much tell you what the bucket of keywords are to about 99% accuracy. 
from there, you know, really, you just you got to become a, a mathematician. You got to start working the numbers. You got to, you know, start making some assumptions on what the average order value would be. You know, it's, you can get pretty close to that. What your expected click through rate would be, and what your conversion rate would be. And when you can figure those things out, you, you can very quickly come up with it's a little bit of a guesstimate, but you can come up with what your average cost per order would be to actually close a sale, close an order. So much of that though gets refined when you get into the battle. A lot of it is just, it's inspiration enough to know for me, it would be to say, listen, there's a market here and I don't know exactly how big, but I know it's a big market. It's a monster market. There's a million words a month for the word blinds. I'm just making stuff up here. There's a million intentions every month. Somebody typing the word blinds in, I'm going to go figure this out. And then it's just get on the battlefield and figure it out, right? Start, you know, taking people's guns start figuring out where to fire, <laughs> you know, start figuring out where you need to hide when your competitors have launched missile attacks at you start, you know, when those missiles miss and you know, they don't blow up, you go pick one up and keep it for yourself. <laughs> I mean, it, it is truly a battle that you have to figure out. But you know, for me, I've got, you know, so many friends in this, in this space where they go out and create audiences like on Facebook and they create new demand for new yeah, products. So, and I want to talk about that. Like, yeah, can, yeah. You, can you delineate here? Like, what is the biggest difference between Facebook ads and let's just say Google? Ad? I mean, really, it's, it's really Facebook and Instagram and then it's really Google and YouTube. So, what's sure. the, what is the thing that separates those two categories? I think when somebody comes to Google, they have said inherently when they're searching for a product, and that's what we'll relate this to, when they're searching for a product, they are saying, I am ready to buy for product base. You know, sometimes that is I'm ready to just do some window shopping and research, but most of the times it's I'm ready to buy. On Facebook, as an example, with running ad campaigns and setting demographics, you know, not talking about retargeting, but in Facebook, it's more... I'm going to go put an advertisement in front of somebody that is likely to buy this product. They're not right now in the market for blinds, but you know, I know them to be a homeowner. They just bought a new home. You know, I, there's, there's a lot of different, you know, kind of triggers I can put in Facebook ads that would say, get me in front of an audience that is ripe for, for new blinds. Google is these people type the word blinds in. I mean, it is somebody literally just walked through the threshold of a store and stood there and said, you know, I'm here to buy. Put uh -huh. me in the right direction. Nobody is searching blinds for fun. They are searching yeah, They don't want blinds. to see pictures of blinds. Right. Uh -huh. I mean, say there's a small, small piece that would, you know, be looking for some inspiration because they think they can do it themselves or whatever it is. But, you know, if somebody types in Guns N' Roses t-shirt, their intent going right now is to buy a Guns N' Roses t-shirt right now. And that is what we, so, so the phrase you dropped it in earlier, and I don't think everyone is aware of it, would be intent-based search, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the technical term is they're typing in something because they are hot, ready to buy, or, or ready to look. You know, they're seriously interested. And that is the power of what happens with Google. What would you call it on Facebook? Is that just like an awareness campaign? Is that like, is there a term you would use for the, that kind of? It would be search awareness. I mean, we, we run search. retargeting and we run retargeting campaigns on Facebook, meaning somebody. So hold on on retargeting. I don't want to get everybody lost on the retargeting just yet, but not counting retargeting. Facebook sure. is just like a general marketing campaign. Like it's like just kind of a broadcast campaign of awareness. The difference is 
that you're able to really narrow down the who versus just buying a billboard on the interstate, you're able to say, I'm going to show it to certain types of people. Correct. And, it, and even with a billboard on the interstate, there's some targeting, right? Because you're choosing where you want to put your ad on watch which sure. billboard. But Facebook is a an exploded view of that. So it lets you be very specific about who you want that ad to go in front of. I have friends that have such success with this. I don't know how they get it to work. It feels like so much effort to me. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather work backwards and say, you know, put me where there's a bunch of intent, a bunch of people looking to buy a bunch of things already saying it. And then let me figure out the product. Let me figure out how to improve the experience, improve the product, and be a better company for the customers on that landscape today. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because I think that the personal brand influencer market has just completely crushed Facebook ads. And it's not that they don't work, they do work. But I think that the intent-based search for the most part in the personal brand world, nobody is doing it. And they, they don't know how and they don't understand it because they don't, people use Facebook as a user. The average person has never used AdWords or you know done keyword research. And I think there's a huge frontier here, particularly with Google and YouTube that I think personal brands are sort of missing the boat on. So you've got intent-based search happening. I want to back up a little bit. You threw out some terms about the average order value you threw out like click-through rate, cost per order. These are important terms that, sure. that somebody, somebody needs to understand. How do you make a prediction? Like you're saying, effectively, you look for there's a lot of demand here and then you're going to use these kind of key terms to go, how do I make a prediction, an estimated guess of what I think I could how I could turn that search into money and, and how much it would be worth it to me. So can you kind of like slow walk us through that, sure. that thinking? Let's use, uh, let's use like the Guns N' Roses t-shirt as an example. That's, that'll let me do some simple math, right? So let's say it's a $50. This, is, this will be a millennial hipster Guns N' Roses t-shirt, right? Okay. Probably the guy wearing it doesn't even know who Guns N' Roses is, right? <laughs> 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 oh, I love giving millennials shit. So it's a $50 t-shirt. And you understand, like, you can buy that t-shirt for 25 bucks. So I own the t-shirt for 25. I'm selling it for 50. I've got 25 bucks in margin. That's what I'm going to make, right? And we're not going to talk about shipping or anything. I'm going to make $25. So now I get to go to Google and say, how many people are typing in Guns N' Roses t-shirts? They're going to give me a number. And that number comes with a couple figures. They're going to say 300,000 people per month type this term in. And the average number one position is $1.40, which means you would need to spend $1.40 to get someone to your site if you wanted to own the first spot in Google. Google estimates this, but it's pretty close. You would pay less if you want to own the second, third, fourth spot, right? So but let's talk about the number one spot. I want to own it. It cost me $1.40. So when I get somebody to the site at $1.40, I've got to estimate some conversion rate. I've got to be able to know that I have to close. Well, let's see. If I close 5%, that's one in 20, that would cost me $28. So for 20 clicks, it would cost me $28. That's 5% closing, right? Say the, so, okay, so you're saying $1.40 a click. $1.40 a click, 20 clicks are gonna cost me $28. Now, I need to close more than one per 20 clicks, right? 5% to get that, those numbers to work out just mathematically based on what the, you know, what the profit margin is on the t-shirt I'm selling. So right. let's, let's say 10, let's say 10%. That's a, that's a high conversion rate, but it's not unheard of. 
with really good, you know, skew based products that are quick to buy. You can get in and out of the cart quickly. So let's say 10% conversion rate at $1.40, meaning that it cost me $14 to get 10 people to the site. Once I had the 10 people there, one person purchased. So I made $25. So my cost per click was $14 for the 10 people. One person purchased. I made 25 bucks. My profit margin was $9, right? On my right. $50 product. So, right? so let so, me just, let me just make sure I got it. So there's a, there is a $50 t-shirt sale. Mm -hmm. You got $25 wrapped up in your cost of goods to buy the t-shirt that, or make the t-shirt that you're selling to the person. Yes. And then you just paid an additional $14 to get 10 clicks on that term of which one of those people bought. So you got, you got $25 in the cost of the shirt, $14 in the advertising cost to get the customer. And so that leaves you a net profit on a $50 sale of nine bucks. Sure. And then you've got some fixed costs, you know, your rent, your employees, like of course, you know, you have all that stuff you have to fit, you have to factor in too. And that's why it's good to just kind of get a spreadsheet out and start factoring this in. Th these numbers start becoming pretty easy to figure out if you've got a big enough market to go after. So if I, if I typed in Joe, let's say Joan Jet, <laughs> right? Let's say I only wanted to sell Joan Jet merchandise. Well, I need to first understand, is there a market? Like, is there a big enough market for me to start my own Joan Jet website, right? Very quickly, if I go to Google and Google tells me there are 580 searches every month for Joan Jet t-shirts, I can pretty quickly say that's not a big enough market for me to start a company on this. But let me look at starting a rock concert t-shirt or you know, picking the top 20 or rock you bands. You broaden. So basically, like, if Correct. there's not enough search volume on a, on a narrow term, you would sure. have to broaden it in order to accomplish the same thing. Correct. You know, I, I have two rules you got to make sure there's a big enough market and understand that there's a big enough market for you to make a dent in where you can, you can have success whether there's competition or not. Meaning that if there's mm. six or seven competitors, you're just going to make each other better. It's going to be big enough that you can have that success. The second thing I think is just as important, maybe more important, but it's definitely just as important is you cannot be a product that you're competing with. If you just can't compete with Amazon. Like if, if uh, you're trying to sell something that Amazon is shipping to customers in 20 of their warehouses, same day, good luck. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost impossible. I don't like to tell people you can't do that or it's impossible because I don't believe really anything's impossible, but you also coming from the guy who ran seven too. marathons and seven continents <laughs> yeah. in seven days. You, you have to know what you're up against too, right? So it would, you know, it would be silly to go out and try to build a model on competing. And I, I've done this before. We own, I mean, we own a company called betting.com. We sold, you know, sheets, comforters, blankets. We own the number one domain name in that space. So how could it not work? I mean, how could we not crush it? And we failed because we started selling products that we were drop shipping. We didn't own an inventory, but we were drop shipping from the vendors and they were getting there, you know, we would have to tell people three to five to sometimes seven days shipping. And Amazon, Zappos, a lot of our competitors had these products in stock. They were shipping same day. Amazon had some of the products they were shipping two hour delivery. So it's like, mm, man. how do you compete with that? So you've got to, you know, you, you got to know what you're up against. And you also got to uh, know that if you are on a level playing field on shipping, how do you differentiate yourself? How do you create a better product? Now, and, and, and this is part of what I wanted, and just for those of you listening, like most of our audience is not in true e-commerce where it is products and logistics and dropshipping and vendors. Most of, our, most of our product base 
you know, personal brands are selling informational type of products, membership sites, video courses, these things that don't have the costs, but it's, you need to apply the same type of rigor and thinking. It's all the same concepts that would apply here is to still go figure out what are people searching for? What is there a market for that I'm well suited to serve? I mean, would you agree with that? The same rigor could apply here. A hundred percent. And I think also, you know, when I sought your company out, Rory, I didn't Google Rory Vadian. I Googled a term. I'm trying to remember what it would have been, but I'm pretty sure I was searching for the number one, like who would I work with when I want to work with in my personal brand? That's going to crush it for me. That's going to help me crush it. So my search term was probably personal branding, uh, mastermind or something, right? There was some search and I don't know if, you know, I found you guys via, via a paid ad. But I would say what you could do, no matter what you're selling, even if it's just informational and you're using Facebook ads, what are the physical product that somebody could search on Google that are somewhat relevant to what you're also selling in your informational business coaching, whatever it may be, that are relatable to, to that product? Because then if you can buy those clicks and you can sell a product cheap, you know, that's, a, that's an easy and cheap way to list build too, right? So you can then you know, sell them a product, you make a little money on, maybe it's a loss leader. But well, that's what you, a lot of people do with the list. book. They, that's exactly. what the free, plus, the free plus shipping model is with the book. But, you know, so here's what's interesting. We are number one for the term personal branding, but yeah. it's not our website. I was interviewed on Social Media Examiner, oh, which wow. is a monster website, yeah. but they, they did an interview with me and that it, the interview did so well Plus, their audience is so big in general, and they're such a high authority site that when you search personal branding, at least at the time of this interview, that comes up. And so, I think that's probably what happened because I know you found like you you listened to that podcast with yes. Michael Stelsner, and then we meet you. But so basically, you're going to make a prediction here, right? You're gonna you're gonna have some forecasts. You're gonna throw out some numbers. You're gonna look at go where's the demand? How much is it going to cost for the click? That's a good tidbit. I didn't realize that the number that Google publishes is the number one position for the click. So at that point, then basically you just start putting some money into the machine. You're driving people to a, a website and you start monitoring how many people visit that page versus how many buy. Is that basically it? Yes. I mean, you, you know, you, you want to make sure you're setting yourself up for success and having, you know, when somebody lands, the page has got to be good, right? You got a, a good product that's got an easy way to check out. I'll equate this to, you know, our first product, faux wood blinds, which are fake wood. You know, they're like a poly blind. We had this product live the very first day we turned it on to pay-per-click. I mean, we probably put 50 bucks in there or something. And we said, and I'm sure it was like a dollar per click that at that time, you know, bring people to this page for faux wood blinds. And we just, we watched it. You know, we sat there, this is before Google Analytics, but Google, there was a, there was a competing product before Google Analytics. We would watch the traffic. We would see what they were doing. Okay. So, so what, let me just make sure. So you're saying that when you first started that it was like a page for faux blinds and you just basically threw 50 bucks in there to sort of test it. Like, is that basically what you were doing was to watch, to see what happened? Sure. You know, we said, let's put 50 bucks on and that'll give us 50 people to the site. Let's see if anybody buys. <laughs> and if somebody does, it's going to be amazing. We're all going to jump up and down and cheers that we actually have something that will, you know, that, that works. And they did. We actually sold to a couple customers. I'll never forget it because it was a, 
it was this moment where it was just like this, we knew it was going to work, but we didn't, we didn't know conversion rates. We didn't know, you know, how much it was going to take. We didn't know what we would need to adjust pricing to be, you know, because, you know, if we sold one out of 50 people, that's a 2% conversion rate. If we sell two out of 50 people, that's a 4% conversion rate. So we're able to make better economics at 4% conversion rate, of course. But a lot of it was just, you know, and today the capabilities are just, I mean, I can't even imagine having these capabilities 15 years, 18 years ago, whatever it's been in looking at Google analytics and watching customers come to a page, see how they interact, how long do they stay? What buttons are they clicking? Where are they hung up? I mean, you can physically see their mouse scrolls and you can see, you know, does kind Google of analytics show you heat map? Does it show you heat it, mapping? It, they don't, there, there are heat mapping tools you can add in, which is, which we have in. Okay. Um, and there's several of them out there right now, like Crazy Egg. And we use a company called Full Story. Full Story just lets you literally watch via like a video recording session, the customer's journey. So you can see like if they're on their phone, they're scrolling, pinching and zooming where they wow. could be hung up on something. It's so you can really understand their interactions beyond a click or beyond a page. Wow. View. That is incredible. Yeah. I've never yeah. heard of that. You know, I, I liken this, I liken this to if, if you were a store like Best Buy and you had a bunch of people come to the front door and then a lot of people go to, let's say the TV aisle and then everybody just stood there and looked at this one TV, but then walked away and didn't buy, you would want to know specifically what's wrong with this one TV and why they didn't buy. So you can start asking questions. You can start, you know, really looking at that page and saying, what's wrong with this? And almost always you will find an error on the page. You'll, it's priced too high. It's like, mm. you know, you're saying something that doesn't really give them the information they need. So, you know, the, these tools are, are truly just unfair competition to like traditional retail I mean, traditional retail, really, unless we live in like this minority report world where you're seeing where Tom Cruise walks in and they start, you know, doing the eyeball tracking and identifying stuff. We are like dozens of years away from that. This is the world we get to live in in e-commerce when using tools like Google Analytics and Crazy Egg and Full Story to see a customer's intentions and behaviors. Wow. So then basically, I mean... At a high level, you're going to do a little research to figure out what is their intent for. Then you're going to look at some numbers. You're going to make some hypotheses about how much it's going to cost. Then you're going to build a page and, you know, a product. And you're going to put a little money in, into the machine. And then you're going to watch how it performs. And then after that, it's basically just this perpetual tweaking and updating and optimizing, I guess, would be would be the word. And And then is that is that more or less what it is just and it's just that over and over again it, it is i mean and then in one day you know you find yourself spending a hundred thousand dollars a day on google managing tens of thousands of keywords and a lot of time a lot of growth it's exactly what it is i mean it is you, you know the the direct-to-consumer brand with millions of customers like we are had to start with a couple people in one sale and then you know, evolved to a dozen sales and then hundreds of sales. Can you share so, how much you've spent on Google or like give us like any sort of idea of like, how, like just how much has your, have you spent on like pumped money into the, ad, yeah. the Google ad machine? <laughs> me and my, me and my Google, I spoke, I spoke at Google about this a couple of years ago and it's funny. They asked me to talk about, you know, why we, how we have such good conversion rates and what are we doing? Like, what is the thing that gets us to, to move the needle? And I kind of put a joke up on my, my PowerPoint, which was the, the formula. It's a three-step formula. Formula one is 
I give Google my credit card. Step two is Google charges my credit card. And then step three is I find a way to make all that work <laughs> as a marketer. <laughs> but my rep and I, every now and then we will, um, I'll, we'll do a screenshot on the account. And I think the last time we screenshotted it between our two accounts, we're just under hundred million right now. Uh, $94 million in spend. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. $94 uh, million dollars that you million paid dollars. to Google. But it is, I, I mean, every single dollar has been worth it because they have all, you know, it has all been intent based traffic. I mean, so it is, I mean, it feels unfair, but I mean, this is where when you look at Google, I mean, these, this multiple almost trillion dollar company gets almost all of its revenue right? So just let that sink in for a second. All of its revenue from pay-per-click ads. And those pay-per-click ads are dominantly intent-based customers. I'm looking for this right now. Sell this to me. So it is a, it doesn't have to be blinds. I mean, it could be duct tape. It could be a variant of a new product that's out there. You know, Shopify, some of these platforms give you the ability to spin up a site and have tools that are really even greater than what we architect with so much greater than what we built in the early days from day one for like 30 bucks a month. It's, it's truly insane. The platforms that are out there now to let you spin up a, a really good e-commerce platform. And so is everything that we're talking about with Google, does this also apply to YouTube? It does. You know, we do, we do some advertising on YouTube with video ads that are both intent-based video ads and then also, you know, retargeting video ads as well. So we have uh, a couple really good high production videos we've done that are commercial quality where somebody, when they come to our site, they leave. I mean, the best use of YouTube is being there in a retargeting narrative that shares a little different message than what you were sharing on the front end. So, you know, if somebody came to your site and they left and didn't buy, your, your ads probably didn't work. I mean, that's kind of what the assumption should be is my ad was wrong. So I need to deliver a different narrative, different story on the back end. And so it's a retargeting on YouTube, we get the opportunity to do that in those, you know, you've seen the ads that are, they make you play for five seconds and then skip. Yep. There's, there's ways to game that. Just make sure you get verbally your name and audibly your name and digitally your name in the first five seconds. So they hear your brand's name and, and see your logo in the first five seconds. And if somebody does skip, you actually get that brand impression for free because Google doesn't charge you for it. So, and a lot of people skip, a lot of people get through these and it is, Again, it feels like cheating the system, but it's, it's best practices with what we, we get to do in um, delivering an impression to somebody that's not watching the full 30-second ad. Yeah, and you're saying you only pay if they watch more than five seconds. Yeah, I think we, we start paying. There's some level that we start paying at, and they don't have to have watched the whole video, but if they skip at the five-second mark, we don't pay. Yeah, and so then you're literally telling people about what you do for free. Like the Google machine is pushing you out there. I mean, the first and, five seconds of our ads has select blinds verbally in it. I mean, our logo's in the bottom right of the screen. You will have known what that commercial was about if you skipped it. Yeah, well, I mean, this is so fun. Like, we didn't even get into retargeting. Like, there's so much here. And just for everyone to know transparently, I, when I was polishing up our, you know, we have our, our nine different events when I was working on our phase three high traffic strategies event, I called Rick because I was like, hey, I want to bounce a couple ideas off you, make sure I got this right. Like, and it's just, you were someone that I tapped personally to go help me try to get my mind wrapped around this. And it's, in some ways, it's really complex, but mostly it's very logical. And it's very systematic. I do have one more question for you. But before that, where, where should people go 
Rick, if they want to connect with you and follow you, I know your, your personal brand. And just so everyone knows, like Rick is not in the business of teaching people this. His personal brand is really about effective altruism. He's, he's really driven by making a dent in the world in a positive way and, you know, building a, a network of more or less high net worth individuals who, who have a real desire for humanitarian and environmental like concern and, and help. So if you're one of those people, I'm sure he'd love to connect with you, but just in, in general, if people want to like follow up and know who you are, like where would you direct them? Yeah, I would say, you know, best channel is, is Instagram and that's uh, Rick Steele official on Instagram. You know, you're going to see, you know, a brand there that if you hold my Instagram up to select blinds, you're going to say, wow, this guy's crushing it in blinds. <laughs> Where's this guy going with this personal brand? What's a personal so, brand? <laughs> right, exactly. I feel, you know, the game of building a personal brand, that's why we need really great leaders like you in helping us out with this because this is, for me, it feels very hard. I mean, it feels very hard. The game of e-commerce, direct-to-consumer feels easy, right? Maybe it's because I've been doing that longer and I've been immersed in that game for some time. But yeah, Rick Still Official will be the place to go see just a guy that I think is, you know, I'm living a hard-charging life, trying to be a good dad, good husband, good business guy and good athlete all at the same time. And that's- Yeah, uh, and you got a very entertaining. You've got tens of thousands of followers, hundred, hundred, over 100,000 followers. So you got, you got some good stuff going. And you're just, again, like most interesting man in the world. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's the most interesting man in the digital world. Like it's pretty incredible. So here's my last little question for you. Where do you think the future is going as it relates to paid traffic acquisition and intent-based search? Listen, if you would have asked me four weeks ago, I would have given you the same answer, but with a, maybe a little bit less enthusiasm. You know, I feel very lucky to be in this game of direct-to-consumer where somebody orders online. Listen, I don't know about you, Rory, but I'm doing stuff around my house now that I didn't think I would ever do. Like, uh, again, maybe, which is, you know, landscaping my entire house. Mm -hmm. and, and not that I'm bored, but I just like, you know, I've got some extra time. I'm doing some stuff around the house. I would say if you've thought about building a DTC, direct-to-consumer e-commerce, this is the time is now. You know, this, this coronavirus, COVID-19 has, I believe, is going to leave a generational dent in us. And I think it's going to be positive. I, I do. But I believe that we are going to be more grateful when we do get to spend time with people. That is going to be more quality time. But I also believe on the flip side of that, people are going to be doing more of their own stuff, buying and securing, procuring their things. We've already seen this as an immediate pop in direct-to-consumer and just online search in general across everything. I've got friends in different you know, spaces online. All of their searches are up. This is giving people the ability to have a little bit of empowerment and say, hey, maybe this is something I can do myself now and or, or buy myself and have shipped to me. So I'm a small business too. So I still, for me, I want to support small business as much as possible. But I also believe that we're going to come out of this with a little bit different behavioral change than when we came into it with. And a lot of that is, do I need to walk into a store? Do I need to have a salesperson in my home? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just a, it's a really interesting time we're living in now. So I think, you know, with enthusiasm for me and the type of business that we're in, I love it, but we're, it's still yet to be seen. I believe the behavioral changes is, is going to be here to last. I don't believe this is a, uh, you know, something that we forget very soon. So yeah, we'll do it. If we ever get out of quarantine, if we ever get, who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in my, I'm in my garage right now. I mean, this is where I'm doing all my stuff is in my garage. So, but I like it. 
I love it. I love it. Well, doing business from home, I think it's a trend that, you know, clearly was a trend that was happening. I think this has accelerated it. It's only accelerated it. And, you know, given that that's the case, the insight and the wisdom and the experience that you have just so generously shared with us is is truly priceless. I, I think that understanding these basic concepts can literally be worth millions of dollars. They have been to us. Just understanding intent-based search and where is demand and getting in front of it and hypothesizing with some basic ratios and then testing and optimizing. Like It's interesting to see at your scale that, that that's how you get there. It's, this, it's the same process. So brother, just thank you so much and we wish you the best. I know, you know some, some of us will get a chance to meet you at one of our brand builders group events in person when we resume our in-person events, maybe virtually for the time being. So all the best, man. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.